Well, good morning, Christ Chapel, and welcome to our new series on the end times. Uh, some of you are excited. Some of you just checked out. Everybody uh, check in and so glad that you've uh, joined us and checked in so far. Hello to those of you joining us at that West Campus, uh, certainly Hive, Converge, South Campus, online, wherever you're joining us from. Everyone, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, and we will back up to the very end of uh, chapter 23, uh, but that's page 829 if you're opening one of those blue Bibles. And want to say a special shout out to our uh, creative arts team. They do a fantastic job on that video. There is so much uh, intentionality and imagery that is placed in there that it would take a whole sermon to explain. But I, I love the intrigue that they raise and hope you continue to, to stay uh, engaged with it. But they did a fantastic job uh, with this one. But we are gonna be talking about the end times, but before we go forward, I want to go backwards quickly and just tell you about a conversation I had with one of our staff about four and a half years ago. Uh, Ted Kitchens, our senior pastor, had just announced to the staff uh, that uh, he was going to be transitioning into a different role on our staff and that I would be stepping into that lead role. And so one of our staff members, Ben Fuquay, asked if uh, he could take me to lunch just to talk about uh, these different things. So we actually went out to what used to be the vintage, I think it's now Shep's, out in Weatherford. And uh, we sat down, had a great, great lunch, but he basically asked me, he said, Cody, what is your vision as you step into this new role uh, for our church? Uh, which was a, a tough question to ask, but really for me, I'm just simple-minded. I just have to break that vision down into you individually. And I said, Ben, what I hope for is that we have, as individual believers at Christ Chapel, the most educated and biblically equipped so that you can confidently and compassionately live out your calling in Christ. That, that's, that's essentially my vision for you. Uh, I want you to reach your full potential in Jesus Christ. That comes with education, that comes with you being equipped so that you can be confident in saying, this is what the Lord has called me to do where I am in order to live for him, that, that life worthy of the calling that you have received. That's what I want for each one of you. And as we start this series, uh, I can't think of a better series that encapsulates what I hope for you because there are going to be elements of all of those things smattered throughout this series as we start living with the end in mind. And so what I want to do is I want to tell you what my goals are for the series because I think they align with what I just told you my, my vision for you uh, hopefully is. And so it's very simple. It's this first, that you would be educated about the end time events. You, you, you need to be educated about those, those things that are to come. Because if you're not educated on what's to come, then how can you live with the end in mind? I'll, I'll give you an illustration. Uh, one of my, I think I can call it pet peeves. Uh, one of my pet peeves uh, is with my own family, love each person in my family. Uh, but one of my pet peeves is when we are driving wherever we're driving, it doesn't matter if it's to the grocery store, to church, to school, whatever it is, and I put the car in park 
And all of a sudden, people then begin to get ready to get out of the car. You, you catch my drift. I say, we're going to the grocery store, okay? We're going to the grocery store. We pull up into the grocery store parking lot. I wait to find a place that we can park. And then all of a sudden, I put it in park. And maybe one of our children says, I need to put my shoes on, you know? And I'm like, hold on. You knew where we were headed. You knew that we were in the parking lot. You knew where we were going. So how were you not prepared? You see, part of this being educated is knowing where we're headed so that you don't wait till the last minute and go, wait, I don't have my shoes on. You need to be prepared so that we're saying, we're stopping at this stoplight. Hey, we're grocery stores in two minutes. You need to start getting ready now. You gotta understand what is coming ahead so that you can be prepared. So one is educate you on those end time events. Second one is inspire a sense of peace and hope. Um, this series is not intended to instill fear in anyone. If anything, after studying these things, you should have hope and a peace because we serve and love a God that calls us his own who has a plan. And it's a plan for your good. It's, it's a plan that is, as Jeremiah 29 says, that is to prosper you and not to harm you. I know I'm using that differently, but it's good plan for you. So you should have peace and hope for what God is going to do in the future. Not be fearful, and fear is ravaging uh, people today people in our country, people in our churches. And really, I, I hate that. Uh, if there's one of the most repeated commands throughout all scripture is do not fear. So I hope through this that this inspires a sense of peace that you don't fear. And then the third is to encourage you to live with a sense of urgency. To encourage you to live with a sense of urgency. That we live with that end in mind and we don't uh, put things off for tomorrow, what can be done or needs to be done today. Because in a sense, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. And that's what we'll talk about a little bit here in just a moment. So those are my series goals for you. And hopefully they will all hit uh, in every sermon that we have, but hopefully hit you differently each week. Because I know when we bring up the subject of the end times, it hits different people uh, differently. You know, some people, they are all into it. They are fired up. You know, they are ready to go. They're ready to define the red horse and the green horse and all, all of those. And those aren't equestrian terms, but they're revelation. Anyway, um, they're ready. There's some that, as I just mentioned those things, they're like, I'm so confused and I'm out. I'm done. Like, don't, I, I don't, don't even want to jump into it. And then there are some that are apathetic. They just, hey, it's not now. So why are we talking about this? Let's talk about what's relevant. Let's talk, let's talk about the here and the now. Well, let me walk you through some frequently asked questions that are at the top of your sermon notes uh, before we jump into our text because I think it will help engage uh, all three of those types of folks wherever you might fall. So let's go through these uh, FAQs uh, very quickly. Uh, because uh, these are all relevant to each one of us. The first frequently asked question is this, are we in the end times now? Yes, 
and no. I am going to thoroughly confuse you in these next five minutes, okay? But hopefully it shows you why you need to be educated. So are we in, t- in the end times now? Yes and no. Yes in a sense, no in a sense. Yes because of, and these things you're going to have to write down because I don't have time to go through it all. Yes because of Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 says, long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So there's a sense in which when Jesus came, it's an inauguration of the end. So yes, there is a sense that we are in the end times. But no, we're not in the end times. Because if you go on to Matthew chapter 24, verse 6, which we're not going to get to today, but we'll get to later on in the series, Jesus says, when you see all of these crazy things going on, the end is not yet. So are we in the end times? Yes and no. Okay? Let me tell you where we are in that timeline. I'm going to show you this, and we're going to go throughout this for uh, the rest of the series, but Please notice the big star, you are here. Okay? This is where you are. You are in the church age. You are past the cross, hopefully you know that, before the rapture. Hopefully you know that too. Okay, we're going to talk about this timeline as we go, but that's where you are. So are we in the end times? Yes and no. Second frequently asked question. Well, if it's a yes and no, do we know when the end will begin? Do we know when it will begin? Well, yes and no. Yes, because we know that the end, in a sense, has already begun, as I read to you from Hebrews chapter 1, but we know that the end on that timeline technically begins with the rapture, but the rapture is imminent. And we're going to explain what the rapture is throughout this series. But it's imminent, meaning it could happen at any time. So do we know when it begins? Yes, it begins with the rapture. Do we know when that is? No. We don't know when that is. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus says, But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor, guess who? The Son of Man. You're like, yep, you're right, Cody. You confused me already. Yep, you got to hang in here. Got to hang in. So do we know when the end begins? Yes and no. Third question. Will all of Matthew 24 and 25 apply to me? Guess what the answer is? <laughs> yes and no. Yes and no. Yes, it all applies to you because God, I know, is going to use this in a way to speak to your heart. But yes, because we are going to make this Monday morning uh, applicable to each one of your lives. So yes, this will apply to you. But in a sense, no it won't apply to you because you, Lord willing, will not be in all of that timeline. You will not be present for all of those events, which I will explain later in the series. So hopefully not all of that applies to you. Something else that is key that you've got to understand is who Jesus is talking to. Jesus is giving the agenda for the end times to Israel. We 
are the church. We are in the church age. Israel and the church are separate and distinct entities. The church is not Israel, and Israel is not the church. And we're not going to go into all the dispensationalism ideas that are packed into that statement. But what I need you to understand is he is outlining an agenda for his people, Israel, but there will be an application for us, his church. Okay? So yes and no, Matthew 24 and 25 will apply to you. But let me explain where he's giving this just to give you some context because these two chapters, why I mentioned 24 and 25, is called the Olivet Discourse. Now, the Olivet Discourse is the last major discourse in the Gospel of Matthew. It's why we're slowing down here. We're going to slow down for these two chapters and take, uh, I think it's six or seven weeks on this particular series. And the reason why it's called the Olivet Discourse is because Jesus is speaking these things from the Mount of Olives. And you've heard of that, you may have heard of that term before or that location. So I want to show you where that is because the Mount of Olives is just east of the, uh, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. So it's not that far from from the Temple Mount of where that would have been in those days. I mean, it's, now I don't know where Jesus sat when he said these words, but it's a quarter mile, and I'll show you a perspective later on uh, where you can see that. But it's really just a, a, a risen spot, and the Kidron Valley is not that, it's not that wide, the valley that it's talking about here. So everything is this compact uh, space where Jesus is going to be looking at Jerusalem but he's sitting on the Mount of Olives telling them about these end-time events. So what I want to do today, if it's not already obvious, is I want to set up this entire series for you and set the context for why does Jesus say this now? Why is he saying it to these particular disciples? What is he trying to do? So I want to explain how we're getting into these end times explanations that Jesus is talking about. And then I'm going to give you an application as we walk through and we'll finish at verse 3 of chapter 24. But I want to back up to the end of chapter 23 to uh, kind of set the context for where we're going. Because if you'll remember, where we left off last week were the seven woes to the Pharisees. Remember, those woes were bad woes, not good woes. These were woes of condemnation. Woes because they had rejected Jesus. And they had pretended like they were following him. They pretended like they were doing great things. But inwardly, that was the Inside Out series, inwardly they were filled with wickedness. Even though outwardly they looked like they were doing all the right things. And Jesus condemns them with these seven complete, I think that's why there were seven complete woes. Saying, you have rejected me. Now I am rejecting you. And that's where he's going here in chapter 23, verses 37 to 39. Look at it with me. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Remember, that's the last woe that he just gave to them in chapter 23. But listen to this statement. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. 
See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So why does Jesus begin to talk about the end times now? It's because the end begins with the rejection of Jesus. The end begins with the rejection of Jesus. And this is true for Jerusalem, and this is true for all of us. The end begins with the rejection of him. Now, who is he exactly talking about here when he says, he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Now, obviously, he's not just talking about a city. He's talking about all the things that that city represents. Remember, the city of Jerusalem represents the seat of government, and, that, and, and it was a theocracy. Israel was a theocracy, so it also uh, represented all that that entails. That's where all of the religious leaders were because that was the seat of religion, in a sense, for the Jews of that day. So all the religious leaders, all the systems, all of its citizens. So when he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, it encompasses all of those things that have all turned their back on him. They have all rejected Jesus. And those were the ones that he came to, which is why he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would, if you look back, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. His desire was not to reject them, not to condemn them, but to protect them. If you think about the picture that Jesus is giving, a hen who gathers the chicks under her wings, that's to protect them. That's to, to guard them, to hold them close, to hold them tight. And that was Jesus' heart for Jerusalem. If you will remember, when, Jerusalem in, uh, when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, Back in, it's in uh, John, I think, chapter 12. It's in Luke, chapter 19. It says that Jesus laments over the city. When he's coming into the city, he's sad. Why? Because he sees the dysfunction in Jerusalem. He wants to save them. He wants to protect them. But just as he knew what happened when he entered the city and what is happening as he leaves the city, it says, but you were not willing. I wanted to protect you. I wanted to put you under my wings, but you weren't willing to come under my wings, to come under my authority, to submit to me, to submit to the message that I was bringing. And because you were not willing, I am now walking away. And Jesus begins to walk away from Jerusalem. And I think that that is literal, and I think there's, that's metaphorical. That Jesus is walking away from them. And as we know, from that timeline begins a whole new mystery, as Ephesians chapter 3 says, called the church age. But he begins to walk away, and he takes away, I think, his presence, his presence, protection, that protection that a hen provides for the, the children, the chicks, that is removed from Jerusalem. See, the, the beginning of the end begins with the rejection of him, rejection of God. And when you reject him, you don't get his benefits. 
You don't get his blessing. You don't get his protection. And so as he walks away, it's almost as if when he leaves and his presence leaves the city, that God's presence leaves as well. And when God's presence leaves, that's never a good thing. And we know that from the Old Testament, too, that when God's presence left the Israelites at that time, that it never turned out well for them. That's what is going on here. That's why he says that their house is left desolate. Your house has been left desolate. That word desolate means alone or empty. Now remember, the temple was where God's presence dwelled. This is where God, it's where God lived. God lived right there in the middle of Jerusalem, right on the Temple Mount, right there in the temple, the Holy of Holies. And he says, now that you've rejected me, Jesus, he says, I'm leaving. And guess what? Your house is desolate and alone. It's empty. God's presence isn't there anymore. You don't get his blessings. You don't get his protection. You don't get to commune with him anymore because you've turned your back on him. And you won't see, he says, you won't see me again until uh, it is said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord which is a reference to Jesus' second coming, which we will talk about later on in this series. You see, to live with the end in mind, here's the application for us. Don't presume upon God's patient pursuit of you. Do not presume upon God's patient pursuit of you. I want you to see Jesus' heart in this passage, in that heart of the hen, that Jesus wanted what was best for his people, and they rejected him, and he, and, and he tried, and he tried, and he tried, and he tried, message after message. He pursued them, and it's no different with you. God is pursuing you. And the only reason why you will not be under his wing is if you are not willing. See, sometimes I think we don't want to live under his submission. We just want to live under his protection. We just want to live under his blessing. You don't, you don't, it's not either or. I mean, it's either or. You don't get both and. You can't have, have one and not have the other. You see, sometimes the reason why I think people want to study the end times is because they want to procrastinate. And we want to put off those things that really should be done today for another day and tomorrow. And I'll get serious about my walk with God when. I'll do that later on. I've got plenty of time. Or I'll figure it out after I get, this is a busy season or or I just don't want to right now. I, I just, I want to live my life the way I want to live my life. And it's really hard. I've heard people say, man, I'm great at procrastinating because I work better under pressure. You know? If you don't feel the pressure of the imminence of Christ's return, then my friend, I'm telling you, you do not know the end in mind. You, you work really well under pressure when you know what that exact deadline is. When the deadline is imminent, 
I mean, you, you, better, you better turn it up. You better get more serious. There was an old cartoon, Calvin and Hobbes. If you know who Calvin and Hobbes, that cartoon strip uh, is. But one day Calvin is uh, at work and he's staring, uh, he's at a little work thing and he's staring out the window and the boss walks up and walks up behind him and says, and Calvin's not working, he's daydreaming. And he says, Calvin, why aren't you working? And Calvin responds, I didn't know you were standing there. I didn't, I didn't know you were right there. Or then I would have gotten busy because we wanted to look like we, we were working. My friend, do not let that happen to you. Don't presume upon his patience. He is pursuing you. And if you're here, if you're listening to this message, it is evidence that God's spirit is pursuing you. And he's jealous for you to call you his own, not because he just wants to subjugate you, but because he wants to bless you and he wants to protect you just like as a hen protects her children. That's why he is pursuing you. So don't presume upon that. Second Peter verses three through nine. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, his promise of his coming, his return, as some count slowness. But why is he patient? He's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Repentance meaning to turn to him. That's why he's patient. And he's calling your name, and he's calling your name, and he's calling your name. Would you turn to him today? Do not procrastinate any longer. Don't presume upon his patience because the rejection of Jesus will lead to destruction. The rejection of Jesus will lead to destruction. If you look at verses 24, uh, or chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, after Jesus basically shares that his heart is broken over Jerusalem, he begins to walk away, and Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, do you see all of these, don't you? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another will, that will not be thrown down. So Jesus, after he uh, shares that about Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and he turns and he begins to walk away from the city, uh, the disciples, and it's, and it's really odd, kind of, if you just read it at first, first glance, and they start going, Jesus, look at these wonderful buildings. And you're like, that's really strange that they would say that. But here's why I think they're pointing out uh, these wonderful buildings is because Jesus just told them that their house would be left desolate. And I think what they're pointing out to is, how can that place be left desolate? Look at that. This would have been, this is obviously a replica, but what uh, Herod's uh, rendition of the temple would have looked like. Uh, Herod began building this in 20 BC. It took 46 years to complete the buildings and the actual construction, but it wasn't completely finished until 64 AD. And this, this would have been an ancient wonder of the world. Uh, the, it was a complete 
dry construction, no cement holding any stones uh, together. And the stones that were used there would have been, a, how they got those in place would have been a modern a marvel of the ancient world because those stones, the smallest stones were between two and five tons. The larger ones were over 500 tons, the largest one being 585 tons. These were huge things. And I think one of the reasons why the disciples go, but Jesus, look at these buildings, is because they go, how could that be desolate? How could could that happen? How could that in any way be thrown down? I think they're looking at it and they're saying, this is a great place, and it's also a permanent place. And yet Jesus now says, all of those things will be torn down. And we know, remember, go back real fast, this was completed in 64 AD, and it was completely destroyed in 70 AD. It stood for six years. Stones of over 500 tons torn down, not one stone standing on another. And the temple was completely destroyed by Titus. 70 AD. Every rejection of Jesus will end in destruction. It doesn't matter how put together you think it might be. So here's the application for us. To live with the end in mind, invest in the imperishable kingdom that cannot be shaken. Invest in the imperishable kingdom that cannot be shaken. And when I say invest, I'm talking about your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Go back to what we talked about in Matthew chapter 22 of how to love God. I'm talking invest everything because only his kingdom cannot be shaken. That's it. That's what Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28 says. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship. That means loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, with reverence and awe. You see, because we are all tempted to live for the kingdoms of this world, and I don't know what your kingdom is. I don't know where you place your hope. I don't know where you invest your your time, your talent, your treasures. But there are different kingdoms calling for your attention, and they all want to be built. And that can be your kingdom of health. That can be your kingdom of wealth. That could be the kingdom of a worldly kingdom. That could be your business. That could be, I don't know what, the country. It could be anything like that. And guess what? Those are all fragile, shakable kingdoms. They're not unshakable kingdoms, and we all know that. But we all get lured into investing in those kingdoms and thinking, no, 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 look how permanent this is, Cody. Look how great this is. Let me say this. Every counterfeit kingdom is short-lived. Every counterfeit kingdom will be short-lived. He will not let any kingdom stand against his own. Not one. So don't spend time setting up a counterfeit kingdom. There's no reason to invest in that. 
I've used this analogy before, but setting up a counterfeit kingdom is like building a sandcastle. It's only a matter of time till the tide turns and wipes the whole thing out. Those counterfeit kingdoms are fragile and they're shakable. There's only one kingdom that is unshakable, and that's his. So invest in his kingdom. Why? Because the end of all things will be the ultimate reign of Christ. The end of all things will be the ultimate reign of Christ. If you look at verse 24, verse 3, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. These are four disciples that we know from Mark chapter 13 that come to Jesus, and they say, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And so now Jesus is moved off and he's moved to this Mount of Olives. And I think, and again, this is why the, the Mount, uh, the Olivet Discourse, I think how Jesus is speaking, first he's seated, which is the position of a teacher, so he's teaching them, but I think he's seated looking at the Temple Mount. And we've got a picture of what that might look like. So see, there's not, the, uh, I'm trying to give you perspective here of how far away these things were. Now, again, we don't know exactly where he was sitting when he gave this Olivet Discourse, but he's sitting on the Mount of Olives, and it's not that far where you see the Dome of the Rock, the big gold dome uh, that is now a Muslim temple, but the temple, the Jewish temple, would have been in, right there in that area. And so I think he's sitting there overlooking that Temple Mount when he talks about these end times. And they ask him the question, these four disciples, and they say, what will be the sign of your coming and the sign of the end of the age? See, from their perspective, they are waiting for Jesus to come in and smash some heads. When, when are you going to come in and subdue everything? Subjugate everyone underneath you. What is Because those are linked in Jewish theology. The sign of his coming and the end of the age. Those are basically one event in their mind. Because in Jewish eschatology, you might hear that word throughout here just so you know. Uh, eschatology just means study of the end times. That's, that's all it means. So in the, their eschatology, there are two ages. It's really easy to remember. Think candy. Now and later. Okay. Real simple for, for, what, for the way that they saw it, okay? I don't mean to make light of it. It's just a way to remember it, and you won't forget it. So now and later. So they see where they are now, and the sign of the end of the age and his coming will be one event, and then we get to later, where Jesus is ruling and reigning. The Messiah is there. He is sitting on his throne. And Jesus is going to say, that is not incorrect, but that is incomplete. It's incomplete because of what he's going to share the rest of chapter 24, which is this timeline that he's going to talk about. And this is what we're going to be walking through, and this will be on your sermon notes, the rest of the series, so that we, this will be our anchor to help you help understand what we're going to explain from Matthew chapter 24. But here's, here's my application for you and for me is very simple. It's this, to live with the end in mind, align your expectations to his purpose. 
Align your expectations to his purpose. The disciples came to Jesus with one expectation about what should be. This is the way I think, uh, and that was their understanding, but this is the way I think it should happen. This is what I think should, should go on. And Jesus says, not incorrect, but incomplete. And we, as his disciples, have to begin to align our expectations to his purpose. Because oftentimes when we talk about end times, what people want to study are events. Let me tell you what Jesus cares far more about is your heart. Because he wants you to live with the end in mind. If you look at one of the seminal passages for the end times in Titus chapter 2, which we, don't, we won't go into right now. But as he's describing what we're all waiting for, he says, make sure your life is full of godliness, righteousness. He cares far more how you're living with the end in mind. Guess what? He doesn't, he just told you in Matthew chapter 24, as we talked about, he doesn't know the, when it's going to happen. The end is already set, guys and gals. The end's already there. You don't have to be concerned about what the events are, when they're going to happen. What you need to be concerned with is, are you living in light of the coming king? That we're not caught daydreaming outside the window thinking about how we're going to build our kingdom. And the boss shows up and says, why weren't you working? What were you thinking about? I, to I told you I was going to come. My promises will come true. That's why we're doing this series. It's not just to fill your head with a lot of knowledge. Education is part of it. But it's also that urgency, that intentionality to begin for each of us to live with the end in mind. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for uh, being so gracious to tell us what the end is so that we can live with intentionality, so that we don't have to live in fear, wondering what's going to happen, wondering what you want from us. Lord, you have given us everything we need by the power of your spirit, by the knowledge of your word, to live the lives that you want us to live as we live with the end in mind. So Lord God, would you equip us to do that? Would you give us a sense of peace and hope for what you have in store for your church? We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.